Welcome to Rock Harbor Church's channel on Sermon Audio. We hope this message is a blessing to you and helps you in your daily walk with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So please, settle in and grab your Bibles. Here's Pastor Brandon with this message. Um, I did uh, a prophecy update. Hold on, let me get my timer. A uh, prophecy update on Wednesday. We filmed it. It's, it's uploaded about the Nord Stream Pipeline. And I would just recommend that you go there. I did, I don't know, 45 minutes to an hour or whatever explaining the ramifications of what happened with the Nord Stream Pipeline. Um, there's no doubt um, someone went in there and sabotaged it, blew it up, um, blew holes, three holes in it, and, um, and it's a game changer. Now, it, it, when I went through my, my uh, prophecy update, I, I named a few theories of who it could be, and again, they're all theories because we don't know who did it at this point, but it is a radical game changer. This means that the winner that Europe is going to see is going to be far worse than they thought. There's going to be a lot of people that die of cold. There's going to be uh, energy, food shortages, and uh, the, one of the major manufacturers there in uh, Europe, uh, BASF, I believe it's called, manufactures a lot of their products, and they have to have natural gas to do that. Well, if they don't get the natural gas, they'll shut down, which means a lot of the supplies that Europeans get and, and enjoy will stop. So the economy will tank as well because of that. So there's a lot of ramifications. It makes Putin obviously more dangerous. It actually then puts Israel in the crosshairs in a lot of ways because Israel is sitting on a gold mine of gas reserves in the... Uh, what they have found outside of, you know, in the Mediterranean off of their coast. They're piping it right now to Egypt, and then Egypt is sending it to Europe. So what that means is, you know, obviously Putin doesn't want any competitors. Um, and so Israel doing this puts her in the crosshairs of uh, Russia. And, and, and what I talked about in that prophecy update is that it sets the table for the Gog of Magog invasion, at least one more hook of why Russia would want to attack Israel, along with Iran and Turkey and the other players involved in that invasion. So for more details, I, I would go to that, and it's up line, uh, online right now. They haven't taken it down yet, so um, we'll see how long that lasts. And so that's, that is a major game changer right now, major game changer. You need to focus in on that and see all the ramifications that come from that. Um, <clears throat> now, that gets me to where I'm gonna get to today. This, this service got ahead of the other services, okay? So uh, in the other services, there was much discussion, many questions about, you know, us going, um, or, or me uh, adding the addendum to spiritual gifts and to the, um, the faith and message that we have online. So had a lot more things. So both hours after this took the whole time. So I didn't even get to preach the sermon for them. Uh, I preached the sermon to you, um, and we only had like one question. I think Gabriel had one question, and that was it. We're all pretty good here. Um, so I got to get the services back on track. So I got to preach a different sermon today for you, and then I got to preach a different sermon for the next two services to get them up to speed where you're at. So uh, well, I'll be preaching two, ser- uh, two sermons today. So what I, I thought I would preach to you guys is... Um, the whole concept behind the Feast of Trumpets. We just celebrated the Feast of Trumpets. And the interesting thing about the Feast of Trumpets is that a lot of people, you know, they predict that, uh, they'll, they'll, they'll wrongly predict that they'll start naming dates of, well, uh, 
And we heard it this year. Uh, Jesus is going to come back last Monday. Uh, that's what it was. I think it was Jesus coming back last, next last Monday, and we're going to be raptured. And I want to go over that because there's a misnomer out there in Christendom that we need to be aware of. Um, it is true that the Feast of Trumpets uh, a, has two applications. One application is primarily Israel because it's Israel's feasts. And the second application is to the church in one way. And just like Pentecost had, Pentecost had a direct application to Israel, but Pentecost also had a direct application for the church. That's when we say the church began on Pentecost, right? But again, Pentecost is a Jewish feast. And so you have to, what you start realizing is that the Jewish feasts um, will have multiple applications, not only to Israel, but now the mystery part was somewhat to the church, and there's elements of the church that have application to it. So I want to go over that today because um, so that people don't, you don't get caught up in people date setting and stuff like that, so you can see how you can't do that. So anyway, we're going to study Feast of Trumpets. You'll have a good time. I think you'll like it. Uh, it's fascinating. So um, Feast of Trumpets, oh, that didn't come out very well. How did that move? Okay, can you read through that? Okay, well, oops. It wasn't like that last night when I looked at them. Okay, anyway, let's try to explain it and see the double printing over each other. Okay, what the fall, fall and spring feast represent, all seven feasts, are in regard to the coming of the Messiah. Okay? And then throughout progressive uh, revelation down the years, we start to realize that the coming of the Messiah has two phases to it. And as you can see, the first phase uh, that says spring right there, and then the second phase, obviously, second coming. Now, that's what was, is predicted in Scripture, but sometimes the passages are one right on top of each other, so it looks like it's one and the same. He's born in Bethlehem, but then he rules and reigns in the same passage. But now we realize there's, there's two phases to the coming of the Messiah, the first and second. Okay, then when you look at the second coming, the second phase, the second coming has two phases too. And the two phases are the rapture and then the, the parousia, the second coming where he comes to earth. So it repeats the pattern of two phases, two phases. So what the, the, the scriptures indicate is that the spring feasts represent the first coming. And you've got, of course, Passover, and you have unleavened bread in the tomb. First fruits is the resurrection, obviously, in Pentecost uh, with the giving of the Holy Spirit. Um, not only to Israel, uh, to Israel that would believe, but also to the church. So the, the Jews at Pentecost... They, they represent, they get saved, they represent the remnant of Israel, but they also are part of the church. So it, a, a Jew today that gets saved occupies two spaces. They occupy the remnant of Israel and they occupy the church. And the church is made up of Jew and Gentile. So that's how it applies to them. So then between the feasts, you have the fall feasts. And then you can see the summer harvest during that period of time. We are now currently in the summer harvest and we're, we're getting close to the fall harvest, which is the end of days. It's the last days. Well, we're in them, but the, we're at the end of summer, basically. And the, when the fall feasts begin, that means the program starts with Israel again. 
And so um, the next three festivals is Trumpets, Atonement, Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, and Feast of Tabernacles, Sukkoth. Now, one of the things I want to make a point about is this. The spring feast, as you can see there, happened on those days. Okay, that's true. They happened right on the, the feast days, and they happened in one year. Okay, it happened in one year. You know, Jesus dies, he's buried, resurrects. That's the first three, and then Pentecost happened. So it happened in one year on the date. The fall festivals are a little different. It's possible it could happen on that day, but what we have from Scripture is there's a, a major gap between the festivals. It's not happening in one year and on the and in consecutive order, because trumpets um, and 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 the separation from trumpets and atonement in the Hebrew calendar is seven days. But in the book of Revelation, those seven days represent seven years. Okay? And then the tabernacle, Feast of Tabernacles represents the kingdom, which is a thousand years. So it's almost like the fall feasts were on that day in that year, but then the spring, sorry, spring feasts were on that day in one year. The fall feasts seem to be separated by eras or periods of time. They don't happen consecutively in the same year. So I'll give you an example. <clears throat> when Feast of Trumpets happened on Monday, there will be 10 days between that day and then Yom Kippur. But in your county, those are the days of awe. They, those are the days where Israel is supposed to repent of their sins and get right with the Lord. But you don't count trumpets because trumpets is celebrated on two days and you don't count Yom Kippur. So you have 10 days of awe, so you, which, because you don't count those, you end up with just seven days between. So again, lends itself to the seven-year tribulation. So there's a little bit of difference. They're separated by eras, time periods, seven years, a thousand years, okay? So you have to think of the, 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 the fall feast a little bit differently. Okay, so here's the passage in Leviticus, and Numbers 29.1 says basically the same thing. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, In the seventh month and on the first day of the month, you shall have a Sabbath rest. So they're supposed to observe a rest on this day. A memorial blowing of trumpets. So a trumpet is supposed to be blown, and it's plural, trumpets. A holy convocation. You get together, you come together as an assembly. You shall do no customary work on it. And you shall, offer, uh, uh, you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. So a burnt offering. But here's what you, what you want to notice. It, 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 this is the feast right here. But notice it doesn't say why they are to do it. It is the only feast that never tells you why they blow the trumpet. So in effect, it's a mystery it's a mystery to why God asked them to do this. They're just to do it, and they're never told why. One of the customs of Feast of Trumpets, uh, when you celebrate it in Israel and way back into the Lord's Day, is you would wear white. 
That's the customary wear of that day that you would wear white. In fact, actually, Feast of Trumpets is two days, and you would wear white. I wonder why, because the interesting thing is, um, when you look at the book of Revelation uh, 19.8, it says, and to her, the bride, it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Now, this is just tradition that developed in Judaism to wear white. But as you can see, it coincides with an event, okay? It coincides with a particular group. Are you catching that? Who's the group in Revelation 19.8? It's the bride. Okay, keep following. Another custom is to have a special midnight service to, uh, to be held on the Sabbath before the Feast of Trumpets. So this special midnight service happens, you know, in the middle of the night. And again, it, it came out of tradition because it's not coming out of the Bible. It just came from the rabbis. But it's very interesting that the traditions coincide with the New Testament. Another tradition, just hold on. You're not supposed to sleep on Rosh Hashanah. Everyone is to stay awake. No one sleeps. So you have to go all night in this, okay? So it, it's a, it's, again, they, it, Rosh Hashanah means the head of the year. So it, today in Israel, they celebrate it as their new year, their civil new year. So it's, it's a big thing. And this is a picture of what it looks like at night when everyone's staying up at the Western Wall on Rosh Hashanah. It's always like this on Rosh Hashanah. And you can see it's just packed, right? It's, all, it's like that all over Israel. So you have to stay awake. You can't sleep. Huh, interesting. When you look into the New Testament, there's something curious that keeps happening over and over. A warning from the Messiah keeps coming up, whether you're in the Olivet Discourse or whether you're in Revelation. Whether it's Paul saying it or any of the other writers, they always will say, stay awake, stay alert. Keep watch. So here's an example. Revelation 16, 15. Behold, I am coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. Now what is that referring to? Let's unpack that just a little bit and see how it coordinates with uh, Feast of Trumpets. Coming as a thief pointed to the high priest, as you can see in the little picture there I have for you. And they would call the priest the thief in the night because thieves come at night, right? And again, Rosh Hashanah is you stay up all night and you don't sleep and you watch. So the, the, in the first century, the high priest was actually called the thief of the, in the night. Why? Why was he called the thief in the night? Because periodically he would get up and check on the Levitical priests that were guarding the temple and attending to, you know, making sure the menorah didn't go out, that the flames kept going and the fires kept going and everything kept uh, running smoothly and they had no invaders. So it was a protection and it was a watch and they had different watches in the night. So what the high priest would do, he would do periodic checks on his priests. And so he'd go there in the middle of the night midnight, one o'clock, three in the morning, whatever, and he would do a surprise visit. 
And that's why they call them the thief in the night. And he would check on them to make sure they are awake. Okay? But what would happen if he found one of the priests asleep, which on occasions they did fall asleep on watch? Well, as you can see in the picture, he had a rod in his hand, usually to beat him. Uh, but in this sense, it got worse. So you see the flame in his hand? What they would do is that, guy, that priest was on the ground sleeping at his post. The high priest would light him on fire, light his, his white garments on fire. That's a wake-up call. That's a hot, uh, more than a hot foot. You see those? I, I, I never did the hot foot thing, but I guess people did. They put a match in someone's shoe or something. I don't know. But anyway, they did a hot, uh, 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 he would light him on fire. Now, what would happen is immediately the priest would wake up, as you could tell, and he'd be, he'd, he would freak out and realize his clothes were on fire. And in order to get out of the situation, he would strip himself naked of his clothes and run out of the temple precincts naked and ashamed. Ah, that's the, that's the, that's the story behind Thief in the Night, Okay. Yes, you know, it, 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 it's weird. It's, in a, it's a idiom for describing the high priest, but the whole situation of the high priest is describing what he's saying. So, in essence, what Messiah was saying to us is you have to stay alert spiritually. You have to be awake. And if you fall asleep spiritually, when I come and get you, in the middle of the night, which you don't know when I'm coming, which would be the rapture, because the second coming cannot be a thief in the night type of situation, because the second coming, you, you could know the very day of the second coming. So the rapture is referring to him coming as a thief in the night, because you don't know their hour. Okay. So if he comes and he finds and he raptures the believers at the Bema seat, he will deal with the believers that are asleep, spiritually asleep. And so what would be the, 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 the hallmark of a, a, of a sleeping believer? They don't produce works that can be rewarded because they're asleep. They're not watching. And so because they produce no works, they receive no reward. And hence, the lack of reward is going along with this parable as uh, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. So those who are not going to get rewarded will be in shame at the Bema seat. And that's what he's trying to get across. And obviously, the Laodicean elements of, of Christendom are asleep, right? They don't even know what's going on. They think the whole world's just peachy king and nothing's happening. And they, they, they get worldly and they run their lives. That person is not going to get rewarded and they will be ashamed. 1 John chapter 2 even mentions that there will be shame before the Lord by believers because they didn't do anything for him. So that's where this comes from, okay? So isn't it interesting that the Jewish custom coincides with this idea of staying spiritually awake? You don't sleep on Rosh Hashanah. Interesting. And you wear white garments. And like I told you, what do the white garments represent? The rewards of the righteous acts of the saints. So it's all tying together, as you can see. Okay. Here's an interesting thing. On uh, Rosh Hashanah, or Feast of Trumpets, um, you eat 
sweet uh, agriculture, I guess. You know, you don't want to eat anything bitter, like a bitter vegetable or stuff like that. You want to eat fruits and vegetables that are sweet. So the big thing on Rosh Hashanah is uh, pomegranates, really apples and honey are part of the feast. And um, it represents something, that sweetness. But again, we're never told in, in trumpets what the sweetness is about. Well, if you look in Scripture... The sweetness, I think, and I think this is a good um, opinion in this sense, the sweetness is being with the Lord, okay? So if the rapture is associated to the Feast of Trumpets, the sweetness will be is when we're with Jesus. Like it says in Psalm 34, 8, oh, taste and see the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. Yeah, because if you trust in him, the sweetness will be when the rapture happens and you get to be in his presence for all eternity, that's the sweetness I think Trumpets is trying to, to portray, the sweetness of walking with God and being with him face to face. Now, on the other side, I didn't want to gross you out, but part of the feast is you have to eat a kosher animal's head. I know some of you are like getting grossed out. Yeah, I know. So... I know this sounds weird. That's why this is head of a fish shortbread cookies I thought was better um, than just showing you them eating a fish head. Because I'm serious, man. It's gross. I see that in the store sometimes, and they'll have a head of a goat or the head of a sheep, and it's like, oh, my goodness, I'm not going to eat that. But they will. They'll eat the, so what happens is they'll eat the head of a fish or they'll eat the head of a goat or have a sheep or a lamb or whatever it is, why? Well, Rosh Hashanah, Rosh means head, okay? And, and Rosh Hashanah is their name for head of the year, okay? And what the rabbis do to attach this is Deuteronomy 28, 13 about the Rosh Hashanah, and it's this, and the Lord will make you the head and not the tail of the nations, that's a promise in Deuteronomy that Moses said would happen to Israel. That right now, Israel is experiencing being the tail of the nations. No one likes them, right? It's that kind of mentality. But one day, when Messiah comes back, Israel will be the head of the nations. Messiah will govern through the nation of Israel the entire world. So they, they at that point, will fulfill Deuteronomy 28, 13 as being the head of the nation. So, some, some of the, the, the Jews don't want to eat the head of a fish or animal or whatever, so they do the cookies, as you can see here, represent the head of a fish. Anyway, again, it, it points to Israel's application. Well, what will happen, okay? Now, there's another service that's associated to it. It's the Tashlik service. And this is weird, but it, it came as a tradition and the rabbis instituted it. What would happen on that day on Yom Kippur, sorry, uh, Rosh Hashanah, is the Jews are supposed to go and find a body of water wherever they're at, and they are to empty their pockets out and throw whatever in their pockets into the water. Now, what happens is uh, today, they'll put bread in their pockets and just to give them something to cast into the water. 
This represents, according to the rabbis, Micah 7, 18 through 20, that God is going to cast Israel's sins into the sea one day. So this, again, factors into Feast of Trumpets because it's an application for Israel. The Feast of Trumpets sets off a call to Israel to repent of their sin, to get right with God, and if they do, their sins will be plunged into the deepest oceans and separated from them. Basically, forgiveness. Now, again, it points to the Day of Atonement uh, for that. But So trumpets is a signal for the Day of Atonement getting ready to happen. We'll talk a little bit more. So this is part of the, the service of plunging Israel's sins into the ocean. Okay, let's talk about the shofar. The shofar, or really a ram's horn, uh, it cannot be um, of a non-kosher animal. It, um, it ha- and it, like, they won't use a cow or a bull or um, even an ox because they don't want to have any remembrance of the golden calf situation. So they turn to a, a ram. Now, the ram's horn's interesting because other types of horns are layered, and some of them are solid. But a ram's horn is one horn, not multiple horns, and it's hollow inside. And so that allows them to make a sound through it. And, uh, and they, 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 the, the word make a horn uh, is singular in Hebrew. That's why they want to go to a ram horn, because it's one horn, not multiple horns. Notice that the ram's horn will always be twisted. As you can see that, it's not ever straight. It's twisted. The reason for it being twisted represents Israel's repentance of turning back to God, turning back. So the shofar has to be twisted to symbolize a a return to God in that sense. Now, here's the different horns, sounds, um, or or what what the Jews say they're for, okay? So you have the zikaron turah which means a memorial of triumph or a shouting for joy after the blowing the ram's horn. Um, Leviticus 23 points this out. The concept of shouting for joy is based on Job 38.7. And what's there? The angels, when they saw God create everything, shouted for joy. So it represents a shout for joy. You can see if we're tying this to the rapture, how the rapture would be a shout for joy. Okay? Then you have the Yom Tura, uh, Trua, sorry, Yom Trua, which literally means the day of blowing the ram's horn. So Numbers 29.1, Judaism holds that when the ram's horn is blown, then Israel is to remember their sins. So this horn is associated to the rapture, okay? It's a signal for joy for the church because we're going home, but it's a signal for Israel that you need to deal with your sins. You need to deal with what you did with Messiah. And so it's a signal, as you can see, both aspects, both applications. Rosh Hashanah means head of the year. Judaism teaches that God created the heavens and the earth on this day. We don't know for sure, but that's what Judaism teaches. Therefore, the feast has been known as the beginning of the civil Jewish year, They believe uh, it is the day of judgment and that it is a day of renewing of the bond between God and Israel. And so, again, application for Israel is that bond will be reestablished 
in the tribulation period when they actually come to faith in the Messiah and they're bonded back to God. So again, it's signaling all of this. Yom Hazakaron, the day of remembrance. Judaism teaches that all Jews are to remember their sins before the day of atonement. Now, what is the day of atonement for Israel? The day of atonement is when they come to faith in Messiah and his atonement then is applied to the nation and all Israel is saved at that point in time. That's what Yom Kippur represents. Then you have Yom Hadin, uh, the day of judgment. Judaism teaches that every Jew passes through judgment on this day to reveal whether their sins will be forgiven or not forgiven. And here's the deal. Their sins will be forgiven if they accept Jesus as their Messiah. That's it. That's what it's all about. So again, you can see the Feast of Trumpets has direct application to Israel. Okay. But here's the thing. Let's go back to the same point I made. There is no reason given for God blowing the shofar. Again, what you just saw was these are guesstimates of what they think it's about. But it's still a mystery. So what is that associated with? Look what Paul, the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. Behold, I tell you a mystery. So in the Bible, when you see I tell you a mystery, it means that this was not revealed in the Old Testament and is now being revealed in the New Testament. And what is the mystery now being revealed? We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye. You know what a twinkling of an eye is? Actually, the Greek, is, it's, it's not you blinking your eye. The Greek, it, it's the idea that, let's say you have a long-lost relative and they come to an event and you haven't seen them for like 30 years and you look at them and you're seeing them with your eye, but you don't recognize them because they've aged or something like that. They've had a hundred miles of bad road or something like that or whatever. You know, you just like, oh man, what happened to you? Okay, but so you don't recognize them and they're coming in and all of a sudden, wait, that's Bob. It's the recognition in your eyes when you say, oh, that's Bob. That's what the twinkling of the eye means in the text. Is it's recognition. It's so fast. It's faster than you blinking your eyes in the concept. Okay. At the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead, in, uh, the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. Again, this is a rapture passage, obviously. But I want you to know the language. Paul is using Hebrew language and Hebrew idioms that points directly to the Feast of Trumpets. How so? At the last trumpet. Now, if people don't understand what this means in relation to the Feast of Trumpets, they'll make a huge mistake. And they will relate this trumpet with the trumpets in the book of Revelation, which are trumpets of judgment. This is a trumpet of calling up the dead and th those who are alive in the rapture. And so this is where you get the concept, well, the rapture is at the midpoint of the tribulation after the, 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 uh, the blowings of the trumpet. This is not the seventh trumpet in the book of Revelation. Because if you know Jewish background, he's using the term last trumpet. Okay, so what does that mean, Brandon? Well, follow me on this. In the Feast of Trumpets, there are a hundred blasts of the trumpet. 
The first one is the tekia. It's a long, single blast. It symbolizes the expression of joy and contentment. Okay? Oops. Went backwards. The second one is the shevarim. Three short blasts. This is a combination of three broken notes to symbolize weeping. Weeping for sins. So you have the joy and then the weeping for sins, right? Then you have the trua. These are extremely short blasts that are a combination of nine staccato notes in a very quick succession of short trills. This symbolizes trepidation, sorrow, and sobbing, which they will experience in the tribulation. The last one is the tekiah gedola. This is the great tekiah, or the common phrase is the last trump. It is the hundredth trump of the Feast of Trumpets. And this one symbolizes the hope of redemption. It is a very long and final note. So you want to hear it? This is what it sounds like. This is what the Tequila de Gola sounds like. do that that's amazing isn't it but they have like these professional guys in the synagogues that are able to do that and they actually blow it out of the right side of their mouth it has to be on the right side it's amazing i don't know how they do this thing but anyway um you just heard the tequila de gola it is the last trump in the feast of trumpets so now when you read paul in first corinthians 15 when he says at the last trumpet it's a direct reference to the Feast of Trumpets that Paul is making. Oh, okay. So then you have this. There are two key words, if you notice, in the text that we're studying, in Leviticus, Numbers. They'll have the word shofar, the horn for blowing, and then they'll have trua. Trua means a shout. So we have a combination, many times, of this blowing of the shofar and a shout in combination. Now, what we see in Scripture, when that combination is used, it means several things. They were, uh, it, together, they were used to announce the year of Jubilee. They were used at the fall of Jericho. If remember Joshua going around Jericho? They were to shout and blow the trumpets. They were, to, uh, they were used at the time uh, that the ark was brought into Jerusalem. They were used as a call to repentance. They were used as a praise of God. They were used together as a call to war. Now, a lot of these apply to Israel, but this idea of a praise to God, you can definitely see how that would apply to the rapture, and we get, we get to go home, and we'll praise God for that. Israel is going to go to war. That's what they're going to go through, and you can see the call to go to war. So watch. In another passage, this is 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, look how Paul weaves in the shout with the Tekiah de Gola. 
For the Lord himself would descend from heaven with a what? A tr- yes, a shout, a truah. With the voice of the archangel. Now what will happen is Messiah, as the commander, will shout. And probably the words come up here. And then Michael, the, uh, the archangel, there's only one archangel, it's Michael. Michael will repeat the shout, and then the trumpet of God blows, the trumpet of God. So, so Paul is relating the trumpet of God to the tekiah de Gola, because he wouldn't contradict himself in 1 Corinthians 15 as the last trump, and that's the shofar. So you have the combination of the shout and the trump. And the dead in Christ will rise first, then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together. That's the rapture. And you can see Paul is using trumpet language in referring to the rapture. Hmm, interesting. With them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Look, notice that he doesn't come to earth. He meets us in the clouds. And thus we shall always be with the Lord, never separated from him. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Right? That's where our joy is. That's where the sweetness is because we're always going to be with him. Now, apparently our world doesn't like the rapture doesn't like the Feast of Trumpets. So CNN comes out with an article, for some Christians, rapture anxiety can take a lifetime to heal. Yeah, yeah, apparently, listen to this. They call it rapture anxiety. Is, uh, is recognized by some faith experts. I'd, I'd like to know who the faith experts are. Who are they? These, these faith experts. Experts agree. Mothers, uh, mothers approve, Right? <laughs> And mental health professionals, I, who are these mental health professionals? I don't know. As a type of religious trauma. Oh, the rapture's trauma. Darren Slade, the president and CEO of Global Center for Religious Research, which I don't mean, know who that guy is, has been studying religious trauma across several faiths and domina- denominations for years. This is a real thing, he says. It's a chronic problem uh, of rapture anxiety. This is a new area of study, but in general, our research has revealed that religious trauma leads to an increase of anxiety, depression, paranoia, and even some OCD-like behaviors. Okay. If teaching you about the rapture, that you're going home and you're going to be with the Lord, frightens you and causes you anxiety, there's something wrong with you. There's... It would only cause you anxiety if you're not a believer because you will be left behind to go through hell on earth. So I don't, this, this person, oh, I, it traumatized me. <coughs> That's our blessed hope. And notice what they're doing. They're turning the rapture into the blasted hope instead of the blessed hope. Now why, now, why would they do this? Why pick on the rapture? I think I know why. We're close and a bunch of people are gonna disappear. And it's an attack on this view right now to get people not to wake up. What is the trump, the Feast of Trumpets? It's a call to wake up, right? It's a call. Something's gonna go down. The days of awe are gonna happen. The days of judgment are gonna happen. It should scare the unbeliever. It should. Rapture anxiety, come on. (laughs) implications for Israel. Okay, let's talk about, so the implications for us is we're raptured. Oh, okay. What's the implications for Israel? Okay. It's an announcement of judgment that Yom Kippur is coming. And I'll tell you when that decision is made. The decision is made 
for Israel of whether or not they will uh, take the mark of the beast or not. And that for, goes for Gentiles as well. That's the dividing line in the tribulation, okay? You take the mark of the beast during the tribulation, you're not coming back, according to Revelation 14. So that will happen. Then those who choose not to take the mark, the nation of Israel will be saved three days prior to the second coming. So Yom Kippur is connected to the second coming. And so Israel will then have the atonement applied to them and they will be forgiven. Again, it's to warn Israel about the days of awe. The days of awe are seven days, not counting trumpets, two days, not counting Yom Kippur, so seven years. So the days of awe represent the tribulation period. It's to prepare Israel for war. What war? The war with the Antichrist, because he's going to go to war and destroy, try to destroy all of them. It's a call to Israel to repentance for a transgression. One transgression. One major transgression. What would that be? The rejection of the Messiah. To call Israel to believe in the Messiah. To call Israel to call on the Messiah to save them physically. That's the second coming. And lastly, a call to regather Israel for the kingdom. That's what the Feast of Trumpets applies to Israel. That's their part in this. Now, as I said, the 10 days of penitence are off. Is Feast of Trumpets two days, Yom Kippur one. So we have seven days in between, which is a, is a tribulation period. Now, this is the thing you need to know about the Feast of Trumpets. The Feast of Trumpets is a two-day festival called Yom Arikta, or the long day. It is the only feast that does not have an exact starting time. Did you know that? There's no exact starting time. Because you're waiting for, I think it's the, is it waxing or waning moon? When's the new, the new moon? Does anyone know moon stuff? Do you know moon stuff? Is it waxing? Someone knows, okay, so there you go. You know lunar. So a new moon is waxing, right? Okay, so the new moon will wax on the right side of the moon and you will see a sliver of a horn shape on the moon. You see the horn? They, in Israel, they don't call it like a, a, you know, a crescent moon, like Islam. They call it the horn. It's a horn on the moon. That represents a new moon. But here's the thing. The reason trumpets doesn't have an exact starting time is because in Israel, when they practiced it, they would sit there on the wall of Jerusalem and see if the new moon rose that day with that little hook, with a little horn. Well, here's what would happen. So on the feast day, it sometimes didn't rise. And so they'd have to wait the next day and see if the, the moon rose on that day. And the timing of it was different. It could happen at six o'clock in the evening. It could happen at eight, sometimes at three in the afternoon when the moon rose. So they always had to be watchful and watching when that moon rose. Then if they saw it and needed two witnesses to see it, they'd go back to the Sanhedrin and declare by the testimony of two witnesses, it, uh, the new moon has risen and now we can declare the feast of trumpets. So, because it was the long day, which stretched into two days, the term, no man knows the day when 
Feast of Trumpets starts. No man knows because only God knows and he will uh, uh, reveal that moon when he decides to reveal it. And we are just to react off of them because no man understands it. You can't time this. And it's this day today. You cannot time when the moon rises like this. So the phrase, no man knows the day or hour, was given to the feast. I think I heard that before. All of a discourse, Messiah talking to the disciples. He uses a peri day. But of that day, an hour, no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven, but my father only. That is trumpet language. Only God knows when the moon's going to rise. Oh, but, uh, but as also the days of Noah, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will be the coming of the Son of Man. This is a reference to the rapture, by the way. Then two men will be in the field, one will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken, the other left. Watch, therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. So let's, let's use, that's, that's trumpet language. They would say, watch therefore, for you do not know what hour the moon will rise. You see how Messiah took that on to talk about the rapture? And you say, well, well I thought that was taken in judgment. No, no, in the Greek it's peri-day, which means Messiah is starting a new topic. He's already talked about the second coming. Now he, with the peri-day, he switches into a different topic and then starts talking about the rapture. And he uses trumpet language. That's where that term comes from. Huh. So date setting is forbidden. But here's the thing. Brandon, you know, he fulfilled the, fall, the, 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 the spring feast on that very day. Won't he fulfill... The, the Feast of Trumpets, according to the Jewish calendar, when the Feast of Trumpets, why? You're like, we, 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 uh, we just missed it, so he's not, he didn't come this year. Is it accurate to say, well, then we'll have to wait till next year? If you do that, the problem is you lose imminency of the rapture, which means he can come at any time. So now you, you end up date setting on the date. Well, what's going on here? Let me explain something. The present Hebrew calendar today that they're using is a calculated calendar not based on the moon. It was put into effect by Hillel II in the year 359 AD. Okay? So before this, new moons were cited by multiple witnesses officially declared throughout Israel by the Sanhedrin. After the second temp- temple destruction and the subsequent dispersion of Israel throughout the world, it was impossible to declare the new moon to every Jewish community in the world because they were all spread out. They were not in Israel. They were just all over the world. So how do you coordinate a new moon when all of Israel is spread out? So they did a calculated calendar instead of going off the new moon. Okay. Well, what happened? Well, this new calculated calendar preserved uniformity among Jewish people in the diaspora without the Sanhedrin. This allowed all the diaspora Jews to worship on the same day anywhere in the world. It helped coordinate the celebrations of festivals and Torah readings. The new calculated calendar prevents the holidays from coming on inconvenient times, such as not having the Day of Atonement on Sunday or Friday and not having the seventh day of Tabernacle, Sukkot, on Saturday. It's a man-made calendar that the Jews are following right now. Okay, it's a man-made calendar. They are not following the calendar of the Lord. 
If they were, they would go by the moons. You have to go by the moons. It's a lunar calendar. Well, look at, look at this, though. Look at these articles. 1,700 years later, there are discrepancies between his calendar, Hillel's calendar, and the astronomical reality. This is a serious problem for the Sanhedrin, and they're taking steps to gradually fix it. Professor Hillel Weiss, spokesman, secretary of the Sanhedrin. Look at this one from the Jerusalem Post. The Jewish calendar's out of sync. Fix it. The next blessing of the sun will occur April 2009, 19 days ahead of schedule. Oh, so wait a second. If you or anyone's going to claim that Jesus is going to come on the day, the Jewish holidays of the Feast of Trumpets, you're on the wrong calendar. In fact, you don't know where you're at on the calendar. Wait a second, that's big. So all these feast days the Jews are having are based on Hillel's calendar, not, not the lunar cycle. So basically, there's no one on this planet that knows when trumpets will start. No one. Because the calendar was lost. And they know they have a problem, that they're off on the cycles of the moon. They know they have a problem. How can you be 19 days off and not fix that? So, yes, they, they still celebrate. Like last Monday, they celebrated the Feast of Trumpets, but it's on the wrong day. They have no idea. Guess what? That has preserved. No man knows the day or the hour. It will happen on the Feast of Trumpets, but you don't know when the Feast of Trumpets is going to happen. So no one can set a date. So that eliminates all date setting. If you're going to use the Hebrew calendar today, it's not, it's not legit. It generally flows, but it's not all there. Wow, okay. So what's my takeaway from this? This is the feast. This is our promise of the rapture, right? What's our takeaway? There's a psalm, Psalm 27, connected to this feast and I want you to see embedded the rapture, okay? Look at this. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked came against me to eat up my flesh, my enemies and foes, they stumbled and fell. That's what's happening right now. Though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. The war may rise against me. In this, I will be confident. And what? what? What are you going to be confident in? One thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek. What is he going to seek? That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To behold the beauty of the Lord. And to inquire in his temple. Do you see what he's wanting? This is the application. We're surrounded by enemies. It's getting worse. It's getting dark out there, isn't it? It's ugly. The armies of this world are encamping around us. He goes, the one thing I'm seeking then through all of this is this, that I can see the Lord, be in his temple, and dwell in his house all the days of his life, my life. What is his house? New Jerusalem. For in the time of trouble, 
Look at this language. He shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret place, where? Of his tabernacle. Where's his tabernacle at? In heaven. He shall hide me. He shall set me high upon a rock. There's a great mountain in heaven which heaven sits on. Wait, did you see that? It's going to get really bad. And the enemies are going to encroach on me. And they're, 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 they're surrounding me. But the one thing I look for is to be with him. And he says he promises me to hide him, me in his pavilion. In his house he will hide me. In the secret place of the tabernacle. Do you know what that's a reference to? What is that? It's the rapture. Of being, it's a mystery. They couldn't see it until we see it now. And all of a sudden he's saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take you away from when things get really bad. I'm going to take you home and hide you there until I'm done judging the world. Okay, so what's the application then? What are we supposed to take away from this? Right here, verse 14. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage. And he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. What are you waiting for? The rapture, the Lord to come get us. So the application for the Feast of Trumpets is wait because he's coming. And oh, will that be a sweet day. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for uh, the study in the Feast of Trumpets. Amazing. It blows our mind uh, how that was interwoven into the rapture and, and how that was a mystery, not even discussed in the Old Testament. Now you have revealed it. We cannot wait for your return, Father, uh, with the Lord's return. Um, Father, it, it, it'll be a, a wonderful day when we hear that trumpet blow, the tequila de gola, and you call us home. We're ready. We've got our bags packed, Lord. I'm, I, the bus is out in the front. And I'm ready to get on it. I'm tired. And you know we're all tired and weary, but you have us here for a reason. And what you have just said in this Psalm 27 is wait, wait, wait for me, and we will wait. And as we wait, you will strengthen us. You'll give us the the, the power to survive. You will protect us. And then ultimately, you will protect us by taking us to heaven. What a glorious future we have, Father. That that helps us so much in 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 the struggles that we have. I pray, Father, too, that the Feast of Trumpets will be a warning to those who don't believe. That that they will be left behind to go through the days of awe, the seven-year tribulation. I pray this would wake them up. They would come to faith in the Messiah, place their faith in him, understand he died for their sins, that he was buried and rose on the third day to give everlasting life to anyone who will simply believe in him. We pray now in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us for another lesson. We hope that this message is a blessing for you and helps you grow towards a more mature understanding of God's word. For more information about our ministry, we invite you to check out our website at rockharborchurch.net. Until next time, remember, keep looking up for our redemption draws near.